0: Your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we buy shit we don't need. Ideas are weak. If you had one shot,
1: everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now your fucking khakis.
0: Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. What's going on, biohackers? Anthony here. And in this episode, I sit down with JP Sears. He's the man behind the YouTube channel Awaken with JP, which now has over 500,000 subscribers. He's also behind some of the hilarious videos like how to become gluten intolerant, if meat eaters acted like vegans, how to be ultra spiritual, and much more. He even did one making fun of us biohackers that's titled Biohacking Secrets that you should definitely check out. It's incredible. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that JP's also an emotional healing coach. He's an international teacher in a world traveler and a student of life and he empowers people to live more meaningful lives themselves and he teaches classes all around the world on healing and growth and he's also recently authored a phenomenal book (laughs) that's called how to be ultra spiritual 12 and a half steps to spiritual superiority And in this episode, JP and I sit down to discuss the simple but powerful five-minute technique JP uses with hundreds of clients to help them feel more and facilitate emotional purging, how to strategically move towards the pain and override our survival instincts that are keeping us from evolving, why the issue is never what we think it is when it comes to unlocking our emotional IQ, why people connect to the messenger, not the information, and how you can be 5,000 times more effective as a communicator, and much, much more. So if you guys are working on your communication skills, how to help your message really hit home with your audience, this is a must listen. Without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with J.P. Sears. Anthony, thank you, my
1: friend. I'm more than honored for you to be honored for me to be here. It's (laughs) so good to be here
0: wrecking with you, my friend. (laughs) So I'm curious when people ask you, I mean, you have YouTube videos that have done tens of millions of views. Um, You're recognized. I would imagine just about everywhere you go when people ask you what you do, what do you say?
1: Well, uh, present day, I say, uh, I don't know how to answer that question. And then what ensues is like 10 minutes of just ramble of me still not describing what I do. So what I, what I used to do, you know, when I, for the past 15 years, predominantly I've done emotional healing client coaching with a one-on-one client practice in teaching retreats and workshops around the world. I, you know, officially gave that practice up in January just to be able to fertilize other opportunities more. So uh, you know it, it, it's been hard to say what i do I, I make youtube videos i do a lot of speaking and stage performances uh i got a book so i guess i'm an author that makes me feel like a grown up i do sponsorships with different companies and brands that i work with and uh, you know i've always got uh, uh projects in the works that are yet to come out so you know, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but that's some of what I I do. And I think the heart and soul of everything I do, my intention of it, at least is to help people help themselves live more meaningful lives and live from their heart a little bit more.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned your book. And, um, I've I had the opportunity to check that out because you were you're so generous and uh I mean I was cracking up just because
1: I I sh- shoved it in your face and obligated you to take it when <laughs> we met in person.
0: You know, there's there's a lot of books that uh that you get and yours is one of the few that that I've been reading and, and really enjoying. Um and it grabs you from the back cover. Oh cool. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And so um JP's book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, what was what was your intention and, uh, and goal in writing that book?
1: Yeah, the, the intention is twofold. One, to give people laughs. Uh, I think there's, there's value in the, the entertainment of comedy. And that, personally, I think comedy is a, a biohack to the mind. I think it's, it's something that opens our mind. I think it also is hormonally good for us. Nobody's ever gone to their doctor. And her doctor says, "Well, you know, you need to laugh less. Uh, you're borderline like unhealthy because you're not you're you're laughing too much." So I think there's there's merit in in the comedy, and then really my my probably bigger intention is to use comedy to deliver a deeper message. I think uh, you know I share my perspectives through humor because humor is something that people pay attention to and my perspectives not shared with humor oftentimes uh will stand a better chance of getting ignored so those <laughs> perspectives that i like to package and embed in the humor one of them would be advocating that people let go of that which served them that no longer serves them uh, inviting people to more unapologetically be true to themselves as well as advocating people look for happiness where it is not where it isn't.
0: I like that. And so if
1: if the book can do a little bit of that, then I would consider uh, it to be a
0: success. And I would imagine a lot of what you're sharing is unique because of your experience working with so many people one-on-one and seeing problems from, from that perspective where, um, You've been in the trenches. From, from your work with clients and emotionally healing, what, what's a common challenge that you see many people facing or getting stuck on?
1: Yeah, you know, the, one of the challenges within the challenge that's pretty universal is uh, the, the issue is never what people think the issue is. I think self sabotage that can you know show up as you know psychological depression unhappiness or physical issues, but self sabotage typically has a distracting component where people think they know what the problem is and keep addressing it over and over and over again, doing the same thing again, expecting a different result, but. Something I've learned of being able to work with people in the trenches, as you mentioned, in their heart, um, is realizing we're never upset about what we think we're upset about. There's always a story under the story, there's always causes that are driving the symptoms. So, uh, in underneath that challenge, I find that how people, you know, it's a challenge, but also a great opportunity for life and health improvement. People tend to behave and treat themselves both you know through their health actions or lack thereof as well as their psychological treatment of themselves Uh, they they tend to treat themselves in a way that validates their unresolved emotional wounds so if you want to learn like what is a person's unconscious feelings about themselves just look at how they treat themselves and a lot of us are into some level of self-sabotage, which at its core, in my opinion, is self-abuse. But that self-abuse really validates emotional wounds that have unworthiness, fingerprints all over them. So helping people find and resolve and rebalance their emotional wounds that a lot of us carry around since childhood childhood is just like stuck in our emotional colon, just like a meal that we ate when we were five years old. It's still with us. It's not digested. We're unaware of it. So we pretend it's not affecting us, but it's still there. And I think what we don't know about ourselves tend to control us. So helping people connect with that kind of thing so that they can be free of it so that they don't have to validate their unresolved emotional pain through how they treat themselves and how they limit themselves and how they play it small in their health and wealth and prosperity and those other
0: buzzwords. Yeah. And, and I would imagine a huge challenge there is that so much of that emotional trauma occurred at a really young age and it's probably subconscious, so how, yeah. do you, how, do you help, how do you help someone that may even know that they are engaging in self-sabotage and they know that there were probably things in their childhood that impacted them that they carry with them today? They don't know exactly what they are. How do you, how do you take someone in that situation and start guiding them towards the path of letting that go and uh, overcoming some of that emotional constipation?
1: yeah i love that and just real quick distracting myself one of my favorite authors uh, a guy named james hollis i love his words which are which is the problem with the unconscious is that it's unconscious which is like a big freaking problem because it is right. i think our unconscious affects us and drives us far more than our beautiful little conscious mind so it's a little bit of a dilemma like wow this thing that i by definition know really nothing about is affecting me so much so it's like how do you become conscious of the unconscious and i think first off the intention to do that is a big part of it the intention to have a new awareness the intention to bring new perspective to old issues uh, the the intention to bring new awareness to issues that you didn't know were issues. So, so to me, what a lot of that has to do with is looking at the repetitive patterns of dysfunction and pain in present day life. Anytime something is a repetitive pattern, whether it's like, wow, I always start trying to lose weight and I always sabotage that, or I'm living the same damn relationship over and over again, just with, different people, or I have the same relationship with money pattern repeating itself, whether it's I can't make any money, or I make a lot of money, but I'm so unfulfilled. That to me is always a symbolic representation of something going on unresolved in uh, the unconscious. So for me, there's a beautiful process of learning how to discover how to discover what part of you is being symbolically projected into life here. In other words, kind of like what part of you is being validated through your dysfunction in life and in how I, because that's still super abstract the way I, I described it, but how I begin to bring it into more of a concrete reality so we can bring meaningful change and actually make a difference. And I do a lot of inner child work. So it's finding certain ages, events that happen at those ages, and doing specific psychological heartfelt exercises involving vulnerability, which is a noxious word, but it's super important uh, so that we can actually feel feelings that have been... Results that have been constipated in us. I I don't like what I'm about to say, but I believe it to be true. We can't feel what we don't. uh, I'm sorry, I said that uh, backwards, so um, apparently I don't know what I'm talking about. So when I pretend I do know what I'm talking about, what I'm trying to say is we can't feel what we don't feel understanding problems i think has zero correlation to healing the problems if they're problems of the heart yeah. emotional stuff from childhood or adulthood i think we actually have to feel it and i'm the first one to say i wish that wasn't true but through my you know my devotion to my my healing as well as the thousands of hours of client work I have found that there is significant power in feeling, and I think that can work for us. And if we ignore it, I think it can work against us big time.
0: It's it's really interesting, this process that you mentioned, because I was just having a conversation with uh, a client and friend, Frank, and like he was dealing with um, the, the symptoms commonly referred to as Lyme disease, and his pain, two months ago was, was so bad. He, uh, I mean, he'd moved back 33 years old. He moved back in with his parents. He wasn't even sleeping in his bed because, um, he couldn't get in and out of it. He was basically living in a, in a lazy boy and, um, he's made huge progress in the past two months. Like he's, he walked, he's walking like three, four miles a day. Um, his pains now between a two and a five out of 10. Um, but one of the things that he's been doing and he was just raving about on our call was, um, He's reading a book by Michael Brown called "The Presence Process." Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with it? No,
1: I've heard the name, but I, I know not of the work.
0: Yeah, it's it's very similar to what you're um, what you're describing, at least in terms of. I said I said boil the essence of the book down, and he said basically we all have these emotional traumas and scars from childhood, where we're very much like vibrational beings, even if we don't. Cognitively understand what's happening around us with our parents when they're arguing. We feel the vibration of uh, anger and um, and and the negative emotions. And he's like, and these things all affect us. So this process is yeah. the process is bringing yourself to the present moment through meditation, through um, incantations. You know, there's certain breath work where it's you label each breath. So the inhale would be I, exhale am here. Now, in this, Mm. and you repeat the mantra to really bring yourself present, and then you pay attention to the discomfort that arises where it arises in your body. If it's like you start feeling an itch, or you start wanting to check your phone, or you start wanting like any form of psychological escapism that arises, it's important to actually say, No, I'm gonna stay in it, even though I wanna flee right now, staying there because those feelings may correlate with something from your past and what we resist has a tendency to persist. Is this, is this, are there any similarities or overlaps here?
1: Bro, you're speaking my language. Absolutely. (laughs) And, and a, a couple of things come to my mind on that um, you know what you said earlier about your know childhood and every you know lots a lot of this stuff is unconscious well we what's unconscious we project into our outer reality so the what we don't remember about the past remembers us so if we pay attention to what's happening now it actually tells us about our past even though it's not registered like all this is about the past but the the lessons are coming up to, uh, uh, coming up for us. And, and what you just said, really what that means to me, like if, if discomfort arises, emotions arise, like go into them. To me, a big time biohack for our psychology is go towards pain. What will delay the process is move away from pain. If we can, you know, not abide by the self-preservation instinct that says, if something hurts, then it's bad for you, get away from it. That, that That's going to lead to survival. But our self-preservation instinct is geared to make us survive, not thrive. Our self-realization instinct, which I think is much more like biohacking oriented, self-realization instinct says, if something hurts, go towards it. Use your logical discernment because self-realization instinct would realize, like, if I go walk into an oncoming car, that would hurt, but discernment says, I'm not going to do that. My life actually could end, like, literally and physically, but when it comes to especially emotional pain, as well as opportunities that scare the crap out of us, it is a biohack from all heaven if we can just remember, go towards the discomfort, we will be on an exponentially accelerated route to success and freedom, especially freedom from the old scar tissue of the psyche that otherwise has us bound. And how that old scar tissue, I think, has us bound is we continue to posture ourselves away from discomfort. So we stay under the scar tissue, but we can become kind of like the caterpillar, the butterfly breaking out of the cocoon, which is just scar tissue. When we start leaning towards the unknown, when we start leaning towards the discomfort, like the butterfly, man, it is leaning towards complete discomfort. This outer world is completely unknown to it, but it's self-realization instinct says, screw it. I want to see what's on the other side of this coffin of my comfort zone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how, so I grew up with a a dad who, an amazing guy was, he was not very emotional. That's not what he was taught. And, um, I never saw him cry. My mom saw him cry once when I was born. And, um, so the, the unspoken lesson that I learned was that men don't emote. Um, And, uh, we
1: we might've had the same father.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that because so like when I got really sick and was dealing with my chronic health issues and, um, we'll call it Lyme disease just for simplicity. Um, it was only because of that, that I realized there's a lot more out there than just diet and exercise, which is where all of my practice focused beforehand. Yeah. So in, in in many ways, necessity can be our greatest teacher. It wasn't like it was only when diet and exercise started failing me that I was like, "There's got to be more." Um, what started the process for you of learning these things was was necessity the teacher that started you down this path?
1: It, it was, and, and I think the the pain of complete numbness is is what started me down this path so man we was similar similar experiences with our fathers like yeah real men don't cry and if i would like if i even got angry my father would get angry at me for being angry and as a little kid that was so intimidating it's such a loud voice so i learned to feel afraid of my anger and when i was afraid like don't be afraid okay, now I'm afraid of my fear. You know, if I felt ashamed, now I'm afraid of my shame. Or like I'm sad, but they're not there for me, at least the way I want them to be. So now my sadness threatens me because I don't have the support. I don't have the validation about it. And I also remember specifically, I was five years old. We lived with my grandparents for about a year while my family's house was being built. So my mom and dad and sister and I lived with my grandparents for about a year and a half, actually. So I was five years old, the night we're moving out, like we just lived with them for a year and a half. And I go to hug my grandfather goodbye, and he pushed me away and said, real men shake hands. Then he shook my freaking five-year-old hand. And, you know, of course, for me, a hug is, it's not even that vulnerable, but it's kind of like an act of emotional vulnerability and intimacy. So that's what I grew up with, Uh, essentially, long story short, feeling a lot of fear and shame about my own emotions, which ironically means I'm emotionally charged about my emotions. And what I find is anytime we have an emotional charge about a given emotion, that core emotion registers as numb. Like we don't have a sensation about it. It's like my shame about my shame It's like shame squared, but it's so much that it doesn't register in my neurology because there's so much of it, I can't sense it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's numb. And a a great mentor of mine, a guy named John McMullen, his opinion, which I happen to agree with, is numbness is the highest threshold of pain that a human being can experience. And it's the feelingless feeling of intense pain and it t- for me, it took me a while to figure out wow, I'm, I'm numb. Like I went from, uh, it must have been, and I was 22 when I cried for the first time in at least six years. It might have been longer than that. And during that time where I, I just didn't cry, I thought I was just emotionally strong, very courageous, and just very stable. But then looking back, I realized, wow, that was was not a mark of stability. That was a complete mark of instability that my mind just rationalized and called strength. So because I was numb, feelingless, uh, I I didn't have much sense of meaning. I didn't have much feeling of aliveness because like, when we go numb to, to... our greatest pain, we have to remember, we're also going numb to our greatest pleasure. Like if, if the doctor numbs your shoulders with anesthesia or like some kind of injection, you're not going to feel the scalpel go in. But also, you're not going to feel a delightful shoulder massage either. You're going to be numb to it all. So feeling meaningless and feeling really nothing was the pain that drove me into searching for something. And I didn't know what I was searching for initially. I just, I had the the knowing there is something more to life than trying to gratify myself with my five senses, trying to gratify myself with status and money because that just felt empty as hell. So, uh, apparently my, my heart was what I was looking for. It took me a little while to begin finding it. And there's still a hell of a lot more of it to find, but man, that pain of numbness was, was for me. And I'm curious if you're uh, in your childhood, Anthony, if you imagine like, you know, the, the law of the family is men don't cry, men don't feel emotions. If you did cry, maybe times you did, but if you did cry, you were upset. What was your experience of what your father would do or not do?
0: So my dad was a fireman. Um, so he would, he would work 24 hours on, you have 48 hours off. And, and even a lot of those 48 hours off, he was working other jobs, you know, shoeing horses and doing whatever needed to be done to support our family. Um, but that meant that my mom's spent a lot of the time raising us. Um and I like you, I, I learned quickly not to emote. Um and like I even remember in in eighth grade, so going into my freshman year of high school, I was playing third base in baseball. And uh I took a baseball to the jaw and it shattered my jaw and um you know a good amount of blood coming out. I'm filling plastic cups wow. with blood. And my brother's who is the opposite, very comfortable emoting. And you know, he, he's, he writes poetry and makes music and he's at the other end of the spectrum. He's in the back of our, our Dodge caravan screaming, bawling his eyes out going, my brother's got it. And I'm like, I'm okay, Nick. I'm like, I'm gonna be all right. You know, and like my face is like shattered, but I'm still, there's no tears. And it's just like, it wasn't the way that I operated. And to me, I was like, I'm being a tough guy, you know? And, and, And so much of that that I spent my childhood and even like up through until recently building those habits of not emoting and and equating that in my mind to being strong. Now I'm like, shit, I need to undo all this stuff. I need to like break through and, and I'm just starting this journey admittedly. Like, um, it's, um, so I don't remember, I can't think of a lot of times that I, that I cried as a kid. Um, and if I did, it was probably when I was, Around my mom, and my dad wasn't there um, to see it. Yeah. yeah. It,
1: it, it, and I'm similar. Uh, but if you were just imagining you cried oh, around right. your father, given you that you don't have memories, uh, I, I'm curious, what would you imagine your father's response would have been, and what would that mean to you as a kid?
0: Yeah, I think if it was se- severe physical pain, he would have been comforting and done his best to help um if it was something emotional it probably would have been either ignored or um you know knock it off that was that, that's that's a, a phrase that uh he liked a lot if you were doing something that that didn't align knock it off
1: <laughs> <laughs> knock it off that was huge with my dad as well yeah so you know in ignored or knock it off that's similar to how my father uh, was as well as at least what I would have imagined I, I don't remember crying in front of him because it was too scary the idea of getting ignored or discounted through knock it off and sometimes we would say like being ignored is actually more painful so it's like in my opinion when we have a real emotion that's coming out of us so like we're sad Or we're angry Uh, if we let that emotion come out we're actually in an emotional time of need and I think all people especially children what we really need when we're letting real raw emotion come out is we need connection I think that's one of the reasons why the design team put so many other people on planet earth yes we need interdependence and yes we need connection other people are here for a reason so when we need connection the most, what you just shared with me and what my father would have done is is we realize we would have got disconnection. We would have been ignored or we would have been discounted, which means we're reaching out in a time of need for connection and we're disconnected from. And that equals rejection. That's very, very painful. So I think what weirdos like you and I did is we we learn let's cross our metaphoric arms. We're not going to let those emotions come out. We're not going to let ourselves be in need of connection because reaching for connection and it not being there is too scary for us. So we we learn real quickly. Yeah, those emotions I need connection. No, I'm just going to deny those. I'm going to mostly just not even know they're there myself. And man, that. I think that saves us short-term, like it's functional in the short-term, but long-term, I think that strategy that saved us short-term is what will kill us long-term. And that's why, to me, it's exciting hearing you say, like, you're working to undo that. And to me, very similarly, it's like wearing a pair of pants when you're eight years old that fit an eight-year-old body awesome that serves you well when you're eight but now when you're 38 years old like wow that same pair of pants like bro you've outgrown them yeah like it worked for you when you were eight but like let's undo those let's cut those pants off and fit you with something that serves you better now because what what i think my inner child and maybe your inner child still needs to learn more of, not in our head, as we, we already know it, but in our heart, what we need to learn more of is if we get sad, if we get emotional right now, our father is not going to be right next to us, rejecting us, but we still fear it. It's like driving forward in our car, but our gaze is fixed on the rear view mirror of what's happened in the past. And we realize when we drive that way, like one, we're probably not going to get where we're going as effectively. And two, we might get into some bumps along the way because we're navigating forward based on what we experienced in the past.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious on, on your journey, what were one or a couple of the moments that catalyzed a breakthrough for you? And I know, I know some people, so a a friend, for example, had talked about, he was having some, um, some challenges like connecting emotionally with his wife and, um, they experiment like along with talking more, they experimented with, um, using some psychoactive substances and found that that was a huge breakthrough for them. Um, And I haven't, I haven't delved down that road, but, um, I would be curious, like that was, he, he referred to that as a massive breakthrough and they were crying and holding each other for hours and like sharing things that they'd never shared before. Um, what were some of one or some of your breakthrough moments, things that really helped?
1: Yeah, the, the first biggest breakthrough, uh, and it'll sound like it's about me specifically, but I'll spin it in a, a generalized way so I can pretend like I'm giving benefit to the audience in a second. But December 3rd, 2002, that was the the first afternoon of a three-day weekend workshop that I was taking uh, with my mentor, John McMillan. first class I ever took with him. And I rocked up to that class as a naive, uh, what the heck was I, 21, 22 years old, uh, thinking, like, I'm here going to learn about some stuff so I can help other people heal more. But man, I got my ass handed to me in the most beneficial way possible. John McMullen, he's a very intuitive person. He doesn't buy into people's facades. He reads people and and somehow intuitively sees things inside of them that they can't see. So I was very blind to so much inside of me. I had a hard shell around my heart. But I you know, wore a strong facade and had all these convenient rationalizations for it. So he brought up an issue from when I was seven years old, which had to do with at the time my parents were saying they were going to get divorced, dad moved out. And you know my sister was looking to me to be her surrogate father. So he brought that up and I just start crying. Like that was the first time I cried in at least six years. And it was unnerving to me. Like, why am I crying? Like in looking back, I'm realizing, wow, the world as I knew it was being shattered, which was scary, but very therapeutic because I was shattering my desperately held up delusional sense of me and who I am to the world that was being shattered so I can you know, graduate into a more real sense of who I am with connection to my heart. And later that night after the class, I called my sister up. I just wanted to share with her what happened. But before I could even get a word out, I'm bawling my eyes out again. And she probably just thought I was nuts or whatever. But that was a huge breakthrough. And the breakthrough was like I broke into my heart. Uh, maybe the first time ever, uh, but definitely the first time in a long time. So a, a couple of the take-home lessons for me on that would be vulnerability wins out. Um, the other lesson is hiring coaches and and mentors to help me find my blind spots. Is very important, especially, I mean, yes, like creating business success, like that's cool, but especially when it comes to matters of my heart where uh, I've got my defenses, I've got things I don't even know are there that I don't want to look at. So having coaches help me see what I don't want to see, but I need, need to see. Uh, was a a huge lesson for me and I, I do my best to keep doing that regularly. So man, crying, such a big breakthrough.
0: And I don't know if this is just me or maybe some of the other guys who will be listening have this fear, but is there, do you believe that there is a Goldilocks principle with crying where, um, there is, you know, enough is good and it's emotionally healthy. Too much is like, come on, dude, get a hold of yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do, and and I think a guy like you or I, and, and probably any guy who asks that question, we don't need to worry about that. But we we like like we like to have that principle in mind to sort of like have as an excuse to not cry, like, well, you know, you can overdo crying and you could dwell in victimization. Like, yeah, you can, but you probably won't. We're so far from that extreme. To me, that's like a, a woman going into the weight room saying like, ah, I don't want to lift cause I'll get too big. It's like, woman, do you know how much you're going to have to lift to overdo it so much that you get too big? It's like, that's not going to accidentally happen. So for guys who have trouble crying, let's just uh uh get over ourselves and realize like we don't need to worry about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um oh, it's I, fun. Yeah, I love that advice too about going towards the pain. And like one of my favorite books is um Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God. And and he talks about that, like how Ooh. all you, I think mean, you like that one? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll please go ahead before I get too excited and just interrupt you more. No, I mean, I, I, this
0: is this is about you, man. Um, I'm just the facilitator. But that that all change happens outside of our comfort, comfort zone, possibly my favorite quote of all time. And like that book is I could listen to it on repeat and every time pull and pull something new from it. Um, just, just absolutely love it. And I do think that we're always battling with this, like you said, this survival instinct that is very much opposed to our, what, what, what is required to thrive and like become the best version of ourselves. And, um, and we all logically know that we don't want to just live and we don't want to just survive, but it's, it, it can be challenging um for me as well to just do the thing you know you need to do when it's when it's uncomfortable i'd, I'd be like what, what was it about conversations with god that struck an emotional chord with you i saw your reaction you jumped when i mentioned it
1: <laughs> got excited my heart rate's up to about 178 right now <laughs> uh yeah that 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 was such a meaningful book uh you know when you asked about breakthrough moments uh, i honestly i think that book deserves a mention i read that when i was 20 years old and when i read it it was it was just like i was reading my own mind like when when i was reading it it wasn't like a sensation like i'm learning all this it was very much a weird sensation like i've always thought this i just didn't know that i knew this Mm-hmm. And so it was like an eternal remembering of my own self, and and it just gave me more permission to live in you know outside of the limitations of the the five senses. So it was uh, yeah such a, a life changing book for me. Like it it really
0: struck a chord with me big time. Awesome, awesome. Let's talk about, um, how to be ultra spiritual and, um, you've got, you've got some fantastic, we'll call them biohacks in there for, uh, because of the audience and our, uh, environment right now. But if there was one gem that you're really proud of one golden nugget in how to be ultra spiritual that you think would have a positive impact on many people's lives and many listeners, what, what would that be? Yeah, uh, I believe it's this chapter two, it's called Feelings Buried Alive
1: Make You Thrive. And of course, the the whole book is comedic. It's satirical. So I'm basically telling you what not to do in order to have a good life. So I, in chapter two, I go through different emotions and why we need to bury them alive and how having these different emotions, you know, what it says about you in a negative connotation, basically all the, the unconscious defenses that a lot of us have that strangulate our emotions that ultimately hurt us and therefore work against us by strangulating these emotions. So I, I think chapter two uh, to me helps unwind a lot of uh, uh, ways we work against ourselves. and I that's very meaningful to me. It's like I've done so much against myself emotionally. It's cost me a lot. So to be able to shine the light on the shadows of how we strangulate our emotions and realize that just actually hurts us, uh, limits us severely, shine the light on that so hopefully people don't have to do it as much as long as often that's it's a real pleasure honestly to be able to do that and i hope people can uh free themselves of their own emotional strangulation much faster than i can or have and a funny thing about emotions like the the self-preservation instinct that says oh if it's painful it's going to hurt me you know i don't think anybody's ever been hurt from uncomfortable emotions I think we hurt ourselves trying to avoid our uncomfortable emotions, but actually feeling that um, it might not be pleasant. It might actually be painful, but it's not going to hurt us. So anyway, that that would be a message that I would love for people to pick up from chapter two.
0: I like that a lot. Um, something that resonates with a lot of what you've been saying that... Um, well actually you know I want to I want to rephrase this. So for for a man or a woman listening right now that knows they've gone through they've maybe gotten to a place similar to where you've been and what I'm working through how do they is there a practice is there a daily practice or a habit that you would recommend to start this process of opening up emotional purging recognizing some of these Feelings that have been buried. For sure. Uh,
1: Sit somewhere for five minutes. We'll make it super easy. Everybody has five minutes and everybody can say, I don't have five minutes, but we all have five minutes. Um, Even if it's on the toilet. So sit for five minutes, find one body sensation. I mean, you'll have countless body sensations. So we want you to just pick one and focus on that and breathe with it for five minutes. Breathing in and out, keeping your mind focused on feeling the feeling of the body sensation. So by body sensation, it might be tingling in my chest, it might be tightness, it might be throbbing in my leg, it might be, wow, there's like a sense of levity in my stomach or a butterfly feeling or you know, a uh, uh, ache in my leg. Whether it's painful, pleasurable, feeling a body sensation with deliberate intent for five minutes and breathing with it. Period. And why I value a very simple exercise, and I think there's oftentimes great power in the simple, is that trains. Uh, uh, it essentially trains our uh, our. The, uh, our muscles to feel feelings, our metaphoric muscles, much like our biceps, we realize they're not going to get stronger unless we train them and exercise them. A lot of us have a very atrophied ability to feel our feelings, feel our emotions. So this is a deliberate exercise of feeling feelings and the more we feel our feelings, the stronger we get at feeling our feelings. And, you know, at least my mind sometimes will listen. It's like a one-body sensation for five minutes, JP. That's like lifting pink dumbbells. It's like, yeah, it is. And that's the freaking strength level I'm at right now. So the pink dumbbells are a great workout, not for my biceps, but for my emotional capacity, So, in in much like going to the gym, if you're a hockey player, you go to the gym to have a functional carryover into your real life on the hockey rink. So, we do this. We might sit on our bed or the toilet for five minutes, but the real purpose of that is to give us the functional carryover strength of a stronger capacity to feel our feelings when we're in our everyday life.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And, and I like how simple it is too, because sometimes it's these, these exercises or meditations can feel, um, you know, like you're spinning plates and, and juggling on one leg. And it's like just starting out doing what you can focusing on the sensation. Anyone could do that. Everyone has five minutes and, um, and, and, you know, starting in the kiddie pool, may be what we all need or a lot of us need. Um, yeah. The, the kiddie pool is pretty
1: deep for our inner child. It you know, yeah. would be knee deep for us, but it's, you know, it's
0: neck deep for our inner child. Yeah. That's a great metaphor. Um, some of the, some of the things that I've been working on are like, you know, more and more with, with biohacking and health, it's there's, there's so much that's tied to like the quantum world. And, um, when we when we think about like the future that we want to create and how, uh, you know thoughts are like the language of the mind but feelings are the the language of the body when I came to that realization of wow I'm not feeling I'm leaving out a huge part of my electromagnetic vibration that I'm putting out into the world if I prevent myself from feeling and that's going to impact my ability to create the life that I want the you know the have the impact that I want to have on the world and um, And it's possibly even more important. Like, I don't know if if you discovered this, but I've done videos where the content I think is great and no one resonates with it. And it's probably because it was delivered in a way that was dry and there was zero emotion. And then there's been videos where the content is like, content's not that good, but I'm really fired up about something or excited about it. And people are like, yeah, and they're clicking share and they're engaging. And you're like, does the emotion matter more than actually what's being said in these videos? And Like, what are some of the things that you were the patterns that you've noticed with your videos and like what people respond to or things that have surprised you along this journey?
1: Yeah, you know, any video I've put out that's informative, I realize is pretty useless. I find people don't connect to information, they connect to the messenger of the information. And what what creates way more surface area and depth uh, of the messenger is emotions. Like, you know, information, people aren't interested in that. They're interested in who's conveying the information. and, And yeah, so, and I find you know, my, my comedic videos that have gone big, I, I realize, like that's because they evoke emotion. Like that's what comedy does. It, it's like an intentional geyser of emotion. So that's, that's why they're able to go big. And, you know, you, you, you're probably more aware that, of this than I, but the, uh, Institute of heart Math. they've had research that uh, I'm told is said, well, yeah, uh, said to conclude that the electromagnetic field of the human heart is 5,000 times stronger than the electromagnetic field of the human brain. So if we just kind of like take those numbers at face value and pretend that emotions are more correlated to the heart, information is more correlated to the brain, we realize we're evoking a force of nature 5,000 times stronger when we're allowing our emotions to come out. Like what if we are 5,000 times more effective as a communicator when we're allowing our emotions to come out? We're like, I don't know what I just said, but apparently it was effective because I was emotional. You know, it helped fill one of the most fundamental needs of humankind, which is the need for connection. But if we're being emotionless, even if we're being incredibly informative, we're not giving people something to connect to.
0: I love that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, the next level for me is getting better at that. It's, um, I, I find myself so often going to information and it's like, people don't want that. You know, they don't, they want, uh, they want emotion and they want, um, yeah, they want, they want a messenger that's like being vulnerable as, as cheesy as that word sounds authentic and vulnerable. Um, I want to be respectful of your time too. I'm um, so How do you eat? What's what does your nutrition program look like?
1: Yeah, I eat a strict vegan diet and a strict meat eating diet simultaneously. (laughs) I'm a equal opportunity diet employer. You know, just get the best of both worlds. Yeah, so my my eating. It uh, First off, I love to eat very clean, uh, as organic as possible, and almost exclusively whole food-based, uh, aside from supplements. And uh, uh, another component that's important to me is being gluten-free. And so above and beyond that, I, I eat a crap load of fat and uh, a decent amount of protein and, you know, decent amount of greens I guess when you do the math the carbohydrate intake for me is relatively low I tend to um, do some amount of carbohydrates post-workout and then you know for the past probably three months I've been doing intermittent fasting where it's kind of like a a variation of it at least where uh, I'm uh, until about one in the afternoon, sometimes two, the only thing I'm consuming is water and bulletproof coffee. And, I, I, you know, bulletproof coffee, it's got... I don't know what it is. I mean, I put a lot of grass-fed butter and brain octane MCT oil in it, so it might be like 800 or 1,000 calories of fat. So is that really fasting just because I'm not chewing anything? No, so that's why I say it's quasi-intermittent fasting, which I haven't tested myself, but I assume it's pushing me towards, if not into a ketogenic
0: state. Very cool. How do you – this is – how do you feel after you drink coffee?
1: Yeah, with bulletproof coffee, I feel enhanced. Um, you know, a, a slight upgrade of cognitive function, a slight upgrade of energy, but especially with a lot of fat in it, I feel satiated hunger wise and, and fueled energetically. If I'm drinking just coffee, I tend to, I'll start to feel a little bit wired. Um, and I think it does something to my blood sugar because like I'll start to get hungry. So I, I feel, I'd say downgraded when I'm just drinking pure coffee and I wish that wasn't the case because I love coffee. I think my, my taste buds love coffee more than my physiology loves coffee.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm in a similar boat and, uh, so this is you, you. You may enjoy this biohack, but um, the there was uh, Cyrex Labs did a test where they looked at a whole bunch of foods that have a similar um, effect on our immune system and like evoke a similar allergic response to gluten. And um, hmm. the number one gluten cross reactant—that's the term that they use—gluten cross reactant was coffee. Um, no so, kidding. Yeah, the number one. So, like, chocolate's on the list and a lot of different types of dairy. But when you told me that gluten free is important to you, but then each day was starting with coffee, and I was like, huh, it, it may be a fun biohack just to see, because we're all, you know, biologically and biochemically individual, um, to try with the same fat content, but perhaps use, say, like a ProLab advanced caffeine and dose the same amount of caffeine for the cognitive stimulating component, Yeah, you get the fat for what that does for ketone production, but you're removing the, the immunogenic and allergenic proteins of coffee, which mm-hmm. may not be serving you. Because what you may be having right now is like benefit from the fats, benefit from the caffeine, <laughs> slightly offset by the proteins in the coffee, whereas if you swapped the caffeine – you know, it like it could benefit you. I don't know. It's a, it's a biohack that's worth playing around with. A lot of people find that uh that 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 upgrades their performance to another level.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate that tip. That's genius. I'd love to try that.
0: And um and I I love Dave's stuff too. Like I've got I've got Brain Octane and we've got bulletproof coffee in the fridge cuz like you, I love the taste of coffee. It's um it's one of those things that now, you know, I'll I'll do it when I'm when I'm prepared to reap the slight repercussions <laughs> that come afterwards. Sure. Um what have you eaten? Have you eaten anything today besides your bulletproof coffee?
1: Yes. I uh I swung into Whole Foods for lunch and I had a uh it was a, a chicken thigh just off their hot bar, some kind of baked chicken. And a little bit of mashed potatoes and then some steamed greens. And um, then, right before you and I jumped on, I was in the process of downing a post workout shake, which is uh, half, an, half of an avocado and then a couple of on it supplement products uh, earth greens. So, it's like a green superfood, along with a scoop of their uh, grass fed whey protein and uh, a, a few pieces of frozen organic banana blended up into something that, uh, tastes
0: decent. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, what was your, what was your workout today?
1: My workout, man, it was super, super fast. I did, uh, what was it? It, uh, it was five sets of four rep bench press combined with, uh, I believe it would be called a Bulgarian lunge. Uh, using a kettlebell for added weight. So I was doing just six reps on each leg of the lunge and low reps, four reps on the bench press. So, uh, time was tight, but I find, uh, something works a lot better for me than nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, last question about like your creative process and everything. It, when you sit down to, to create a video, what does your process look like? Is it, you have the content first and then you weave in humor? Um, how, do you, how do you go about um, planning and scripting a video?
1: Yeah, the, well, you can think of it like I do it in, in basically two drafts. The first draft is typically I'm just at obscure moments making a few notes on my phone. And okay, so this topic and like here's some bullet point ideas for it, and the content typically comes in prepackaged with comedy, and so I'll, I'll compile the notes on my phone just again at random times. Sometimes over the course of a few days, sometimes it's a few weeks, and then the second draft of it, uh, I'll transfer the, the notes from my phone onto my computer and then refine it um, and you know get the lines dialed and. Right. So a little bit of a two-step process
0: for me. And do you write out everything that you want to say or is it more bullets uh, to, to hit the important points?
1: With the comedy videos, they're pretty much scripted to a T. Uh, when when I do sincere videos, uh, which I've got maybe 150 or so on my YouTube channel, it's basically I'll have just the topic and then I like to just speak spontaneously to the camera.
0: Very nice. Um, JP, this, is, this has been awesome. For people that want to stay up to date with the things that you're putting out and your content and follow you, where are the best places for them to do that?
1: Yeah, well, all my social media handles are Awaken with JP, and uh, you know, Facebook and YouTube are the places I'm most active. You know, Instagram too, but I'm on all of them. But Awaken with JP would be the best place to grab me.
0: And where is the best place for people to pick up their copy of your book?
1: Yeah, uh, there's a website called amazon.com. Ever hear of it? Uh, but, you know, that, that's probably the quickest, easiest place. Uh, it should be in Barnes & Nobles as well. But I think Amazon is probably the quickest and probably the least expensive as well.
0: Beautiful. So Awaken with JP on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Amazon for how to become ultra spiritual. And um, the last question, where's, where's your vision? Where are you taking this? Ultra spiritual movement in the next five to ten years.
1: Yeah, uh, the the majority of the answer to that question, I'm unaware of. <laughs> I I really am. Uh, but in the next year or so, there will be much more full on touring, doing kind of what would be analogous to comedy tours playing a lot of clubs, theaters. So I've teamed up with uh, the right management team to do that. So I'm stoked on that. Um, There's a TV production company that I'm signed on with. So right now we're shopping a sizzle reel for a a show based on my ultra spiritual character. That might become something. It might become absolutely nothing, but that's a possibility. And, uh, you know, then... I, I think also it's very important to me for the comedy element to go beyond just the ultra spiritual characters. So I'm excited to go beyond just the confines of the character, which the character is something it's, it's an expression I love. It's giving me great freedom. And it's also become similar to like a, a pair of pants in third grade where it's like, okay, I've got to outgrow this. Like it might be something I keep, but I can't be limited by just being it. So I'm looking forward to the discovery of whatever uh, the expansion looks like.
0: Yeah. And um, the the meaningful life tribe. Tell us a little bit about about that. I know it's still in the works.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so a very, very you know, kind of infancy stages of the of the works. But given that the heart and soul of what drives me is helping people help themselves live more meaningful lives, uh, here in the the medium term future, I'll be having a, a membership tr- uh, site. At this stage, I'm calling it the Meaningful Life Tribe, where uh, uh, members get exclusive access to. Uh, videos and other content that I'm putting out just for them to help bring more playfulness and purposefulness into their life. To me, those are two principal virtues that create meaning in our life. And I think meaning is what freaking fulfills us. Apparently, money, possessions, status doesn't fulfill us. But I think meaning is the invisible currency that really fills us up on the, uh, inside. So I'm looking forward to getting much more deliberate and proactive with those
0: offerings. Beautiful JP. I've really enjoyed hanging out and chatting with you. Uh, I've learned a lot and, and I've got some fun stuff I'm going to put into practice, starting with that five minute body sensation meditation. Um, mm. Thank you, brother. Everybody listening, go check out JP's book. It's fantastic. How to be ultra spiritual. Follow him on Facebook, YouTube, and
1: uh, yeah, JP, thank you. Anthony, you're welcome, brother. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Dream Spa. What is the Dream Spa, you ask? Well, let me give you a little bit of a background because it will provide some context to the mechanisms for how this machine works and how it can help you. So scientifically, light is a nutrient for the body. And just as plants need sunlight to thrive, humans need light to maintain health and well-being. Human cells are activated by particular frequencies and wavelengths of light absorbed as photons. Albert Einstein even received the Nobel Prize and changed the course of physics for his incredible discovery on how photons these fundamental particles of light interact with matter, known as the photoelectric effect. His discovery laid the groundwork for our understanding of the vital role light plays in our biology. So human cells are activated by fundamental particles of light called photons. And at the cellular level, these photons influence our mitochondria, which are the little energy powerhouses in our cells that produce ATP, to produce energy. The photons produced by the Dream Spa are absorbed by the body through the skin and acupuncture points. The fiber optic properties of connective tissue in our bodies conduct this light and channel it throughout the body. Cells in the human body go through approximately 100,000 chemical reactions per second, and these are not random events, but actually a highly controlled process in which the light acts as the communicator that makes the reactions happen at the right moment and at the right place. So in contrast to the chaotic light produced, for example, by an electric light bulb, biophotonic waves are coherent, which allows them to be modulated and act as information carriers in the body. It stimulates cellular repair and regeneration, recharging the body like a battery and helping to reboot the brain. It's also very helpful with managing stress and maintaining a cool, calm, relaxed state of being. The Dream Spa system, it's comprehensive and a natural solution to the effects of aging and stress like overcoming low energy, fatigue, poor sleep, stress, moodiness, brain fog, aches and pains, as well as the physical signs of aging, like lines and fine lines, wrinkles, and hair loss. It's based on over 30 years of research by NASA, the National Institute of Health, universities, and researchers around the world in the fields of biophotonics, bioenergetics, photobiomodulation, tissue optics, cellular communication, phototherapy, stress management, and anti-aging. I use my Dream Spa three to four times a week, typically while meditating. And now for a limited time, you can save 10% on your Dream Spa by entering the discount code biohacks, that's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S, at www.lighthealth.com research.com during checkout once again that website is light l-i-g-h-t health h-e-a-l-t-h research r-e-s-e-a-r-c-h.com and you enter discount code biohacks to save 10% on your dream spot